Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. So when you have men being captured in mass, it's not only just a regiment being lost. We're talking communities. They're going to feel this effect long after the war uh, for many of the veterans. Uh, there's a lot of them who just simply just never come back. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor John Settle, and he's discussing the 9th Virginia Regiment. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Rhode Island Publication Society, publishers of the new book, Revolutionary War Defenses of Rhode Island, by John K. Robertson. Available now wherever books are sold. Visit their site, ripublications.org, today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor John Settle, and he'll be discussing the 9th Virginia Regiment. John gives us a fascinating glimpse, a regimental history in a short way, um, at one of the most unique regiments of the American Revolution, the 9th Virginia, uh, one that saw a lot of action in many different theaters, and whose study gives us a wonderful insight into the complexity of the war itself. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with John Settle. John Settle, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me here. Tell us about your background. Um, so uh, I've uh, sorry, uh, I was working uh, past three years uh, at Colonial Williamsburg as one of the military interpreters there, uh, which is where I really got my. Uh, research really started for mainly focusing on Virginia continental and state troops and their involvement. Um, so my, most of my research being all over the place, but mostly on particularly different regiments and the stories that they tell, especially the personnel, the officers and men who make up these regiments. Um, so 9th Virginia is just one of the regiments that I've chosen for this, uh, but there's many others I've been looking at. What first drew your interest into this topic? Uh, so it had been something I've been researching uh, for a while. Tonight, uh, Virginia, uh, it's an interesting story, especially with their capture at Germantown, um, being one of those early Virginia regiments that don't see it all the way through Charleston, pretty much. Um, but I really got really interested and decided to write about it uh, when I moved this past summer to the eastern shore of Virginia, where the regiment was raised, um, and was able to visit a few sites related to the regiment, including uh, final resting place, places of different veterans within the county of Accomack and Northampton. And I, so I thought now would be a good time as ever to tell their story on how that regiment came to be created, how they end up in Germantown, and whether a little bit peak of what their lives are like after that famous battle. How was the 9th Virginia created? <laughs> um, so the regiment uh, kind of gets created because of the, almost really the, the uh, I was say the failure of the uh, Virginia Minute system. Uh, Virginia had tried to 
create this mini battalion service similar to what many other colonies had done, including New England. Uh, but they just, it just it never quite took off on the eastern shore. Uh, the originally was supposed to have several companies, uh, and at most two were raised, one in Northampton and one in Acomac County, uh, led by Captain John Cropper, who's going to be another officer in the 9th Virginia. Um, and nice in the eastern shore of Virginia, um, it's kind of the forgotten part of Virginia. Sometimes I like to call it, uh, but it's got extensive shoreline because you not only have to deal with the Atlantic coast to the east. On the western side, you have Chesapeake Bay. It's a very large uh, area. On top of that, you actually have, of course, Dunmore, Lord Dunmore, the former royal governor, who's operating within the Chesapeake Bay. And there's also quite a bit of loyalist support uh, so throughout the war. So we see a lot of activity with the militia. So they really, you really needed something on the eastern shore to help guard against that on the coastline. And the minute system really didn't work out. The militia was existing, but they were getting called out so much. It was starting to become a real burden to the community. So that's part of the reason why the 9th Virginia is formed in January 1776 when they create six more battalions, uh, which will be for Continental Service. The 9th Virginia was meant just solely to defend the eastern shore. Now, the only problem is uh, money becomes an issue, and funding the regiment was a little hard. So that's how it ended up on Continental Service. Continental Congress agrees to accept it and help try to supply that regiment. So when it gets formed, it's mostly guys from the Eastern Shore. As I said in the article, seven of the ten companies are raised on the shore, um, which, interestingly enough, they didn't have an issue recruiting for the regular service, uh, which didn't seem to be an issue. Uh, and then 17, later in 1776 is when they get rifle companies added from more central Virginia. Yeah. And do that way, they can complete it to a total of ten companies total, just like a normal regiment at the time. Talk about how it changed in its first two years of existence. Absolutely. So, uh, of course, one of the big changes is it's going to change in commanders. Uh, so originally you had uh, Colonel Fleming, who's going to be uh, in charge of the regiment officially, um, and that would be Thomas Fleming in Goochland County, Virginia, um, who was a veteran, French Indian War, wealthy landowner. Uh, now, he does march with the regiment, when it goes to join General Washington's army, uh, they don't get called up until early December 1776. They don't get there till after the battles at Princeton and Trenton when they're really in the midst of the foraging wars. And Fleming is one of those who falls to, you know, falls ill uh, and dies of smallpox very early on. So he's going to be replaced by who was lieutenant colonel of the regiment at the time, uh, George Matthews. Now, George Matthews, Another experienced officer who's coming up to command itself. Even actually fought against the Shawnee at Point Pleasant, 1774. Uh, so you get also new Lieutenant Colonel uh, John Zares and Captain uh, Levin uh, Jones has been being promoted to Major. Uh, so it's a complete change in the command staff, uh, as well as also disease takes out a lot of the men nearly. Uh, close to almost half of the men are going to be taken out either dead uh, or they're just so ill they're never uh, placed back in the service. 
There's also a decrease in the men because of the formation of uh, Daniel Morgan's riflemen in the summer of 1777. Uh, most of the riflemen from the regiment get taken from the 9th Virginia and placed with Colonel Morgan. They're going to fight with him up at Saratoga and um, Raymond's Farm area. While the few riflemen that do remain, they're probably going to end up in Maxwell's Corps, is what it sounds like based off some of the pension records. So we go from a regiment of nearly 700 to, by September 1777, the regiment's only a little over 200 officers and men that are actually present with the regiment. Um, and so they've been, of course, now they've been brigaded with other Virginians, particularly the 1st, 5th, and 13th Virginia, and as well as also the 8th Maryland. It gets nicknamed the German Battalion. And so they all end up under General Peter uh, Muhlenberg. So the regiment has changed a little bit. Um, there's always uh, talk about them and their brown regimentals uh, with red facings. Don Trani just did a, a painting on that. Uh, whether they still had that by that point, because we've seen some records they may have had different ones. Uh, but by that point, it sounds like they were still pretty well uniformed. Um, I haven't seen any complaints of their drill, so I can't say for certain you know, how well drilled we're telling this regiment is. Uh, but what I can say is these guys were noted for bring, being rather rash and rather full of fight, what it sounds like. So probably by the time they get to Germantown, they're they're ready to get into the field. Um, probably a little too uh, excited for what's going to happen to Germantown. What action did the regiment see in 1777, the year of the hangman? Yeah, so uh, once they join the Army, January 1777, um, they are with Washington during the time of the foraging wars in New Jersey. Now, I, I can't see what so much if the regiment was heavily involved in that, like some of the other regiments like the 6th Virginia and 5th Virginia. Uh, but some of the men are involved in some way, shape, or form. So most of the other part of the year, they're involved in a lot of skirmishing, uh, a lot of picket duty in New Jersey, on the New York border as well. Uh, so they're really all over the place. So the first time that I would say they really go into full action uh, at least as, in terms of full, at least as far as we can tell, as a full-scale regiment, uh, it's really going to be uh, Brandywine. It's going to be the first time you see them. And there's kind of a, a debate that I've heard throughout the years of how heavily involved they were. Uh, at the time, they were part of Major General uh, Nathaniel Green's division, along with uh, General Whedon's Virginia Brigade. And General George Whedon, he kind of gets the credit a lot of times uh, for his actions at Brandywine on uh, trying to fight, you know, hold off the British advance once they've taken Birmingham Hill. Um, and it's kind of, debate. there's some accounts who say Muhlenberg's brigade followed behind, uh, but did not get involved in the action. Uh, there's others who say they were right alongside Whedon the entire time and they were equally engaged. Um, Muhlenberg never submits a report least that we know of he doesn't really mention it um but looking at the records on the 9th virginia of the places it is clear there are casualties there are men being killed and wounded including one of their captains john blair um but other than that there's not too much mention of them on the field at least 
singled out in any reports. But it sounds like they're definitely there, uh, being held in reserve most of the day, getting kind of involved toward the evening, uh, probably fire at least a few volleys into the enemy, and then get you know get pulled off the field. Now, of course, there's also Maxwell's Light Infantry Corps, and I could never get any clear evidence of how many were detailed with Maxwell's Corps uh, in the early fighting, which may have also counted for some of the casualties. Uh, but the fact remains is it's very clear they were engaged in some way during Brandywine. So they're getting pulled off the field in pretty good order. Uh, George Matthews, again, still leading the regiment at the time. And they kind of follow along with the Army um, around the campaign around Philadelphia, all the way up to right at the Battle of Germantown. That's where we find them. On October 3rd, 1777, they're still part of what is Muhlenberg's brigade. And they're going to be, you know, finding these as a left wing of the army uh, when they go into battle early that morning, which by that point is around 200 officers and men. Talk about the figure of Peter Muhlenberg. He plays a large part in the story. It's uh, Peter Muhlenberg. It's kind of one of the well-known names from Virginia time revolution. Um, he had been a, a minister before the war, uh, but he left his church to become a Colonel eighth Virginia regiment. Uh, but by 1777, he's been promoted to Brigadier general and he's in command. Uh, what you really call the first Virginia brigade. So that's going to include, uh, first, I said earlier, the first Virginia, fifth Virginia, ninth Virginia, and the 13th Virginia, and during the Philadelphia campaign, 8th Maryland uh, Regiment gets added to his ranks. Um, He is a fairly good commander, especially as a brigade commander. Uh, His men did like him. Men of 9th Virginia spoke very positively, uh, being under Muhlenberg's command. Um, So I believe they would have followed him anywhere at this point. but of course, like the other Virginia brigadiers, he kind of gets caught up in the drama of, of course, officer ranks with William Woodford and George Whedon. Um, but by the end of the war, he's going to play a very prominent role as, number one, he's one of the few Virginia brigadiers who is not captured at Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and will command troops throughout the campaign to Virginia leading up to Yorktown. Uh, but by 1777, He's their brigade commander. Uh, he is technically higher up in seniority compared to the others. Uh, that will be changed in 1778, which will lead to a lot of the officer drama that seems to consume a lot of the Virginia brigadier generals throughout the war. There's some confusion you write about surrounding the Battle of Germantown uh, regarding the regiment's role in that battle. Well, what's confusing? Um, so, as they go into the battle, um, first of all, we have a change of commands again. So, I've been saying Muhlenberg has been the brigade commander. Uh, however, Germantown, uh, because General Green is commanding the entire wing on this attack, Muhlenberg is technically commanding the division, uh, which is going to be really the first time he's going to have that larger command. Of that's um, really the only time he's going to be commanding a division at least under Washington, uh, until Yorktown campaign. Uh, but he's going to be involved in that. You have Colonel William Russell, who's commanding the 13th Virginia, which is already 
weakened because uh, only five companies are present, five, uh, five at Fort Pitt, and what's now Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. Um, so there's been a change command just before the battle, uh, which can have dire effects to it. Uh, now, the other issue that comes into play is they're advancing right along right alongside the division of Major General Adam Stephen. Uh, now, Stephen, though he's a veteran officer, again, French Union War, much like many of the other brigadiers, um, he has a habit for drinking. Um, and a German town is kind of his final battle because of this. Um, so in the early morning fighting, uh, Stephen's division is off to the right side. Green is to the left. I mean, what's green was now commanded by Muhlenberg, left side. Um, and at some point during the battle, during the really opening advances as they push forward, Stephen actually rides over to uh, Colonel Matthews in Knight, Virginia, um, and he tells them to start pushing forward. He, he described that he saw them advancing with spirit was the quote he used, um, and he ordered them to charge the British that were in his front. Well, already we have a problem here is Stephen is not their divisional commander. And based off location where 9th Virginia was, Stephen would have been nowhere near where his actual division is. Um, so Matthews obeys the order anyways. Um, probably was not, but said he probably should have a confirmation from Muhlenberg or Russell before he does something like that because saying it's not part of his chain of command. So he starts advancing forward. Uh, they steadily push back the British 4th Regiment, uh, and they advance right into Germantown. Uh, and it's early morning, uh, fog, heavy fog had already descended over the area. Mix that with heavy musket fire and artillery, it's going to make for a confusing sight. A lot of regiments lose contact. And unfortunately for the 9th Virginia, they're going to lose contact with the rest of the brigade and advance pretty much further than any other regiment in the fighting um, end up in Germantown itself before they finally stop because they're uh, relating with prisoners. Some of the men start to pillage the camp. They're also joined by an unknown number of the 6th Virginia. They're referenced quite a bit with them, which adds confusion of how they ended up there uh, because they were part of General Whedon's brigade, not part of Muhlenberg's old brigade. So how they ended up side by side we don't know. But all we know is they get all the way to Germantown itself proper, and that's where they finally stop their advance, trying to rally. By that point, Sullivan and his wing is being pushed back. More troops are fed toward the 9th Virginia. So now they've lost contact. Uh, they fall back a little bit, but they really have no orders. They're, I mean, there's Green, uh, Colonel Russell, even Alexander, uh, and, uh, General Stephen, who's not even there, is now left totally without any instructions. And that's when Matthew's regiment gets really surrounded at that point. Uh, you had the uh, 1st Battalion Light Infantry advancing on him, uh, joining the men of the 49th Regiment. Several other units start converging on the 9th Virginia. Uh, it just pretty much comes to a situation where it's like moth to a flame. And unfortunately, 9th Virginia is that flame. And so it's hard to tell what's going on. They don't even realize that British troops have gotten behind them now. So it's not until a volley rings out and British soldiers are pretty much descending on them that the Virginians realize what situation they're in. Um, so that's how the regiment, after 
some uh, severe fighting is going to end up being captured almost in mass, pretty much. Uh, Colonel Matthews badly wounded. Lieutenant Colonel Sarius is wounded, is uh, killed. Uh, many of the other officers killed, wounded, or captured. Um, not very many men, if any, really escape the fighting. Talk about the 9th Virginia's time as prisoners of war. Yep. So um, what's really interesting, especially as they're uh, prisoners of war, they're being gathered up. It's about 185 officers who are killed, wounded, or captured. Um, this is where you get the interesting story of uh, Corporal Makaja Clark, Captain Woodson's company, who tried to escape by hiding underneath a barn, uh, underneath the floorboards, uh, which was a method that could have worked um, if a British soldier had not come in and removed the plank that was just above Clark, and that's how he ended up being captured. Um, what's really interesting as well is we actually see a description of the men coming in as prisoners. Uh, some of the young boys in town came out to see and referred to them as the Battalion of Tall Virginians. Um, so we unfortunately don't have any size records, so I can't really say what were their average heights, but apparently it must have been enough to be noted uh, by numerous individuals. And you see another count where they remark uh, their faces uh, being blackened about their mouths with gunpowder from biting off the cartridges, which is a, really a testament to the fighting they had been involved in that day. Um, so they spend uh, the evening as prisoners in Germantown itself, and that's when they're taken to uh, Philadelphia. So at Philadelphia, they're going to go one of two places. Uh, so the officers uh, are going to be taken to the Pennsylvania State House, which now you know is Independence Hall. Um, and they remain there during the entire occupation of Philadelphia. Um, now, some of the other officers, and almost all the men, are then taken to the Walnut Street Jail, uh, which a lot of the veterans, they simply call it the Philadelphia New Jail. So this is open uh, at the beginning of the war, January 1776. Um, and it had been originally used by Continental Congress to house British and Hessian uh, prisoners of war. But now, now the British in the city it becomes a uh, prison for American uh, prisoners of war. So no matter the location, though, they are going to have experienced harsh treatment. Uh, Lieutenant Samuel Wapples of Virginia describes, you know, being the cold in, you know, not allowed to start any fires within Independence Hall where he's prisoned there. Um, and the Walnut Street Drail, their command officer, the prison officer is Captain William Cunningham, um, who, whenever food was brought by women, he would uh, have it tossed on the floor just to watch prisoners fight over his scraps. Uh, you had those who described eating grass, roots, and even catching rats for food. Um, so they're not given blankets. It's a very, very rough situation uh, with very little medical treatment as well. So they re- receive a lot of abuse uh, in this sense. So any of those who died um, were going to be just dragged outside and buried in a ditch. Um, now, I'm trying to, in trying to figure out more about the men of the regiment, uh, there's only really two, uh, there's only about a few I could find. Uh, those Goldie brothers from Almaw County who died there, together Benjamin Taylor and Eastern Shore Man. Uh, those are the ones I confirmed dying at uh, the Walnut, Walnut Street Jail. Uh, but they're right alongside about 275 other Virginians, uh, well, Americans really, who died at jail as well. Now, 
Some of them do escape. Lieutenant St. Waffles is one of them. Uh, he spent three days without food at the Walnut Street Jail before he got moved to the State House. Uh, he was there for about two months. Uh, and he finally escapes late December 1777, uh, where he's disguised as a civilian and was able to make his way back three days later to the American encampment at Valley Forge. Um, another soldier tried to do that, our friend Corporal Makaja um, Clark, who tried to hide in the barn. He tries to escape uh, by dressing as a woman, dressing a dress that had been brought in by other women who were visiting the jail. Um, this did not quite work as the guards looking in there and realized there's one more woman exiting the jail that had entered. Um, he's not going to be exchanged until another eight months later. Uh, now, when the British evacuated Philadelphia, um, many of the survivors in Ninth Virginia and those who had made it through these eight months, uh, they're going to get exchanged. Ironically, the official exchange takes place at Germantown. Um, those who are not exchanged uh, are taken to the prison ships in New York uh, the officers are taken to Long Island, uh, and some of those guys spend in nearly the entire war uh, as prisoners of war at this point. Uh, those who were exchanged, uh, most of them take the discharge. They were only signed on for two years, and that was up in February while prisoners of war. Uh, so when they were exchanged, asked they want to reenlist, most of them said no, took their discharge papers, and went back to the eastern shore. Only a really handful actually re-enlist to stay on uh, for throughout the war. And then most of those guys end up being captured at Charleston, South Carolina. So again, being prisoners of war. What ultimately happened to the regiment? Uh, so what ultimately ends up happening is uh, it is not officially disbanded until September 1777. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, the regiment uh, at least as a, as a regiment style, uh, pretty much ceased to exist at Germantown. Uh, after Germantown, uh, there's only a few men left, uh, including a drummer who had held Colonel Matthew's horse early in the battle. Uh, now, on top of that as well, there are those who are sick who do return to the regiment. Uh, those who uh, come back, including the riflemen from Morgan's regiment, they're going to be uh, pretty much placed as one company within the 1st Virginia. Um, the hope is that they will be able to recruit another regiment. That's what they're hoped for. Uh, that's why the 1st Virginia State Regiment was ordered to join uh, the Virginia troops in Pennsylvania. They arrived three days after the battle, uh, and they were placed on Continental Establishment solely for the purpose just to hold a spot until the 9th Virginia could be reformed. Now, the thing is, all this word gets back to the Eastern Shore, and a lot of those discharged men after the exchange are coming back, and they start spreading their stories of what they've experienced and talking about Germantown. Um, there's not a lot of recruits who are coming in from the Eastern Shore anymore, because uh, most of them don't want to go fight. Uh, they don't want to end up in a situation like Ninth Virginia did at Germantown. And quite frankly, most of them are, if they're worried about defending anything, it's it's the Eastern Shore itself. Um, by that point, Virginia State Navy uh, has had several galleys running up and down the coast. Militia uh, is being utilized very much. And so a lot of the men just choose, why go serve in the regular army when I could just be in the militia and stay and defend home? Uh, I want to go fight anywhere else. So the regiment 
Uh, after Germantown doesn't get many recruits, uh, by September 1778, there are a total of officially 58 men who are enlisted in 9th Virginia, uh, of which 23 are only present and fit for duty. Um, most of these guys were not the old 9th Virginia. These are the new recruits who came in in 17, the winter of 1778. Uh, so when Washington reorganized the Virginia line at White Plains, New York, September 1778, the first Virginia is officially consolidated with the first Virginia. So they had already been serving with them for several months now. Uh, they decided almost a year now. So they decided not to change anything with that. So they just became part of the first Virginia. Um, and then the 13th Virginia gets redesignated as the 9th Virginia. So if you see records after 1778, some of the 13th Virginia, I mean the 9th Virginia in the field, they're not talking the 9th Virginia of 1776. They're talking what used to be the old 13th Virginia. Um, so again, it's it gets disbanded eventually. Yeah, there are men in the field. But for all intents and purposes, the 9th Virginia as a regiment, as a unit, uh, that pretty much ends when they get surrounded at Germantown. How does this article help us understand the Revolutionary Era better? Well, personally, myself, uh, in reading and researching all this, and my real focus has been, I kind of hinted toward at the beginning of the program here. Um, the point of my, the art I wanted to write this article was not just talking about Ninth Virginia being captured at Germantown and just how Virginia's regimental structure was, but it was really to try to get the story of those who were in the regiment. So it's not just a red, you know, the regiment's formed here and then they marched here. Um, I pulled a lot of information from the pension accounts from a lot of the veterans uh, or journals or a lot of different things that they had written about what had gone on. So I included quotes from them. So it's not just this regiment did this and that and other, it's these are the men within the regiment. This is what they experienced. Um, so I'm so hoping this article will kind of shine a little light into what men are, you know, the soldiers, the ranks are feeling as they go into the situations that they would end up in because of decisions made by different officers and how even just, you know, one battle has an effect on an entire community. Cause again, the, this regiment's raised Eastern shore of Virginia almost exclusively, except for three companies. So when you have men being captured in mass, it's not only just a regiment being lost, we're talking communities. They're going to feel this effect long after the war uh, for many of the veterans. Uh, there's a lot of them who just simply just never come back. Um, and a lot of the names as I go through modern day Eastern shore, a lot of the names of the veterans are still a lot of family names here. Um, so there is that connection between, you know, this, the countryside here in Accomack County, all the way up to the edge of Philadelphia itself, and the overarching story of being connected. John Settle, thanks again. Of course, my pleasure. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.